Hi there, my name is Dr. Kim Farina, and I'm a veterinarian, and I'm the host of Pause and Reflect with Zoetis, provided to you by Zoetis Pet Care. Welcome to season three. In season one, we learned about ProHeart 12 with the active ingredient moxidectin, and in season two, it was all about Semperica Trio, a combination of moxidectin, pyrantal, and serolaner. This season, we will focus on veterinary leadership. And maybe you're still thinking, where are the Zoetis products? Maybe they're going to be in this episode. Well, look, I'm looking around and I can confirm they're still not in this episode. But that's okay. This season is a bit different from other seasons, but just as informative, I promise you. We'll give you some great insight about leadership specifically for the veterinary profession. If you are a veterinarian who wants to become a leader, a current leader who wants to sharpen your skills, or you're a veterinarian who wants to explore career pathways that involve leadership or any other thing, then you have come to the right place. This season, four episodes, four extraordinary stories, lots of advice you don't want to miss, and we're going to have some laughs because we'll have a couple of quizzes thrown in the mix to test your wit. One last thing, you don't have to listen to the episodes in order, but they do have a flow so it may be helpful for you to listen to them sequentially. Today's guest is Mr. Rob Best, a certified veterinary practice manager and director of leadership development for VCA. He's also an international public speaker with expertise in leadership, communication, and ready for this, neuroleadership. I wanna know more about that. And he's here with us today. Fantastic, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, today we want to take a deep dive into the key skills needed to manage and lead veterinarians and veterinary healthcare teams. But first, what do you do in your current position at VCA? It's an interesting question. There's there's a lot of variety in this position because there's a lot of variety in veterinary medicine. I think the majority of my focus is helping people to become a little more self-aware and then how to self-regulate their behaviors so they can be more intentional with their leadership practices. And what was your pathway to this position? Because I know you have a very rich history. Yeah, I came into the veterinary industry more like an experiment. You know, can someone with some business experience outside of the industry have an impact with leading hospitals? And we recorded a lot of the experiences through the first couple of years uh, to help create a training program Uh, for incoming hospital managers, whether they had experience in the industry or not. Uh, That experience, um, it it became a little spark that caught fire for me and falling in love with the industry. It's a very unique group of people that are intrinsically motivated down to their core with the focus they have on not just helping pets, but helping people too. So I stayed. And 11 years later, I don't think I plan on having a a time where I would leave the veterinary industry. Nice, nice. Well, you have expertise in communications and leadership, but I also learned you're an expert in body language, statement analysis, and deception detection, right? That's true, yes. (laughs) But I, I get it. I get why you're on VCA's team, because you can teach leaders how to understand people so they can serve their teams, their clients, and then Ultimately, the top priority is the pets. So how do you think the veterinary profession can benefit from learnings like, you know, what you learn in neural leadership? 
you know, from a from a neuro leadership perspective, our neurologic natural state of neutral is rooted in fear. We're very fear based when it comes to the way the brain operates. Not fear as in I'm afraid of you. Just fear as in uh, there, there's a natural instinct to protect ourselves. So the more we can learn about this behavior and the behaviors that follow, the more intentional we can be to help people feel more safe in our presence. Now, if you have a titled leadership position, the moment you enter the hospital, no matter how well liked, no matter how warm and fuzzy you happen to be with your team, the fact that you're present increases fears. So we can learn how to alter some of your behaviors so that their emotional and psychological safety can increase. Oh, that is really fascinating. I want to shift gears for a moment. We're going we're gonna to talk more about that because as a new guest on Pause and Reflect with Zoetis, you may or may not know that in each episode, we have a couple of quizzes for our guests that, have, that are on topics that have nothing to do with veterinary medicine. So this one is a new one, and you might have heard of dad jokes. And, you know, jokes that likely a dad or maybe an uncle, I know you're an uncle, would, you know, tell to intentionally embarrass children, maybe. Um, but yeah. today's quiz is a modification of that concept called vet jokes. And so I'm going to tell you a joke about an animal and see if you can figure out the answer. All right. Are you game for it? I'm game. Okay. Let's do it. Well, you know, I feel like, you know, we could, it's like if you get them all, if you can't get any of them, then it's like, wow, you're really cool. Like you're a cool uncle. You don't tell these jokes. But if you get them all right, it's kind of like, oh, um, all right. We'll put you we'll in see. the geeky category. Person. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> all right. The other thing is there's no prizes, except um, our producer has some canned sound effects of cheering. So um, you can feel good about that. But here we go. I've got a bell when you get it right. And uh, let's do it. Okay. That joke number one. What is smarter than a talking bird? Oh, gosh. I say, oh, gosh, because I've heard it and I don't remember the punchline. What is smarter than a talking bird? Minus one for me. What's the answer? A spelling bee. Rob, come on. (laughs) All right, we're warming up. That joke number two. What do you call an easygoing rabbit? Jackrabbit came to mind. That's not the answer, but what's the real answer? Happy go lucky. Happy go lucky, of course. Come on. Come on. <laughs> what happens to a frog's car when it breaks down? It croaks. That's good. I'm giving you a, like a little one. Um, I was thinking it gets towed away. <laughs> okay, good. It's the same as if you. What? Who do you call when you when you hurt your when you stub your toe? Who? A tow truck. Ah, that's good. I like it. I like it. We could we could just do this all for the whole episode. We'll just tell each other jokes. All right, last one. Why couldn't the leopard play hide and seek? Now think of what does a leopard look like? Because because it's because you can spot it everywhere. Very good, because he's always spotted. Very nicely done. Very good. All right, back to the interview. Think of the veterinary leaders who have influenced you. And I'm curious, what qualities make them a good leader? I, I would have to summarize that as, as the, the people who have a quiet leadership about them, meaning they're very strong and influential in the work that they do, yet incredibly humble and kind when engaging with anybody, whether it's a large audience versus one-on-one. 
Um, you know, I've intentionally sought certain individuals for continued mentorship specifically because of their ability to be quiet leaders, strong in their influence, very kind, and very humble. But let's talk about this more because you talk about humble and kindness. Why are those qualities so important? Well, it, you know, from a from a science perspective, it goes back to what we mentioned in regards to our natural state of, of mind being fear based. Mm-hmm. Those types of individuals have a whether it's learned or natural or maybe a combination of both. They have an ability to put people at ease in their presence and people find them to be much more trustworthy, much more um, capable of of connecting. And when you think about longer term impacts with leadership, those individuals who can create an environment where people feel safe, this is where you have a environment and a long term culture where people are much more collaborative, um, much more open to sharing and talking, which equates to all things, productivity, efficiency, medical quality, um, even even health and well-being. You know, um, so th- those are those are some of the best examples and leadership in general, not not veterinary specific. Those those individuals who have a quiet leadership about them. Um, I'll always be drawn to those people. Yeah. yeah. And it, already the way we're talking, I feel like you have that. So I'm curious, what makes you an effective leader? See, I based on what you just said, I can tell you have what it takes. But I'm curious what you think. I like that theory, what it takes. Um, you know, for me, it's it's about making a lot of mistakes. Uh, I, I, I had some of the right people around me at the right time to help me learn how to accept when mistakes are made, be able to acknowledge those mistakes openly and outwardly, and, and learn how to approach them as opportunities for continued improvement. So early on, I had a mindset that was instead of why did this happen to me, it's why did this happen for me? And because I've made a lot of mistakes, I've had a lot of opportunities to continue growing. And the mistakes happen daily. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to talk about mistakes more in a second, but I'm curious, how have your studies and experiences shaped you into the leader you are today? Because you have so much knowledge besides the experience itself. How, how has that made you you? You know, in, in school, I didn't know what I wanted to study. I knew I was interested in entrepreneurship and athletics. I went to school to play basketball. I, I didn't go to school for academics. Um, by chance, I happened to be decent academically, which you know, it makes me frustrated because I didn't apply myself very well and still did fairly well. So I could have done a lot better. So how that impacted postgraduate education was I specifically seek education that is particular to my career interest, um, which my career interest is also attached to my personal interest. So that's it's a good parallel for me. Um, for some people, that means it's an MBA. For some people, it means it's a CVPM. For some people, it means there's something with psychology and human behavior. And, and so I've, I've purposefully sought for education opportunities, regardless of what the world may think of the, of the, the education or even the, the credibility of the education. What do I believe is going to help me do a better job at helping other people? So I've, I've focused a lot on human behaviors um, because of the veterinary industry. 
I've been more influenced to focus those human behaviors on things that are truly rooted with, with science. Um, and I think that's, that's helped progress my career over the years. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, I have to tell you, my clock says it's time to take another break from the interview for another quiz. Woohoo! Yeah. All right. So this quiz is a favorite, um, which is called Current Events. And it's a fill-in-the-blank speed quiz. So we're going to see how many you get right. Same rules apply. No prizes. Just cheering crowd of you know, sound effects. I have the bell. Here we go. All right. Ready? Oh, Research. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> Researchers have discovered that blank perform just as well as stand-up comics on comedy club tours. Blank performs just as well. Uh, dad jokes. No. Social robots. So listen to this. According to Oregon State University, a social robot named John recently went on a 32-show comedy tour and wowed the audience with its jokes. And when the audience laughed loudly, the robot was programmed to say, please tell the booking agents how funny that joke was. So apparently researchers are hoping that robots might help people communicate on topics that are difficult to discuss. So there you go. Very interesting. Number two, researchers at the Florida Museum of Natural History have rediscovered an ultra-rare blank that experts weren't sure that it still existed. It's unique because it collects pollen on its face by rubbing its head on the top portion of a flower two to three times. Crocodile. A crocodile? <laughs> no, it's a metallic blue bee called a calamintha bee, and it has actually facial hair. So can you picture this, a blue bee with a beard? Sure. I used to raise those back in college. <laughs> Question no. number three. New research conducted by a team of international paleontologists have found that millions of years ago, the Sahara Desert was once home of what? Oh, my gosh. No idea. Well, guess. What, what do you think could have been there that's not there now? What was there, it's not there now, is a, a uh, seawater. No, dinosaurs. But you're, but you're kind of, I'll tell you what's going on. So way back in the day, you know, millions of years ago, it was actually a lush oasis, not a desert, with a big lineup of ferocious carnivores, flying reptiles, and crocodile-like hunters. So too bad this question, question wasn't linked to the other question. You might have... Yeah, crocodile. Okay, moving on. Question number four, last one. And I can tell by your paint expression that, that thank God this is the last one. All right, this is question number four. In the journal Behavior, Ecology, and Sociobiology, researchers recently found out that snakes actively search for other snakes to blank. Now, remember, this is a family show, Rob. <laughs> um, to hunt. No, and I, you know, I, this this bell is just sitting here that wants, wants to be wrong. There we go. No, it turns out that snakes want to spend time with other snakes. So really the research showed that snakes have friends. Um, the Eastern gardener snakes were tested for personality traits such as boldness and shyness. And I'm just thinking, you know, you would have a heyday with this. I, I, I mean, you know, personalities of snakes. Speaking of personalities, but 
not reptile personalities. Yeah. Uh, let's get back to the interview. Um, so how is leading a veterinary team unique compared to other professions? Gosh, or it, no. maybe it's not. Tell me. What, one, of the, one of the most unique things I found about veterinary industry professionals, and this is, this is particular for one of the reasons why I really enjoy staying in this industry, is because of this intrinsic drive for helping pets and helping people, when I first begin some of the types of work that I do, I oftentimes need to identify who actually wants to be here. And in most cases in veterinary medicine, if they've been with their hospital or with their organization for more than six to 12 months, they actually want to be there. Let's be honest, we know they're not there for the paycheck, right? It doesn't matter what your job is in veterinary medicine, with very few exceptions. If you take your professional skills to another industry, you're gonna make a lot more money. So if you've chosen to stay in the industry knowing that that's a fact, well, that's a gigantic positive. That means that there's additional drive that we can uncover. So if there's some changes to make to the practice, if there's changes to make to the culture of the team, if there's some changes to make to the leadership behaviors, well, this, that, that first step that is often the most difficult is already done for most of the people in this industry. They actually want to be there. That means it's a lot easier to create a, a mutually beneficial working relationship so we can make some positive changes. You know, I'm just thinking about that. And I, I want to explore the difference because it kind of ties into this between being a leader versus being a manager. Is there a difference in how, because you know, you're talking about the people that come into the profession and, and we throw around these terms. Is there a difference? Of course. You know, a title doesn't make you a leader. Uh, you don't have to be a manager, a lead, a supervisor to be a leader. Your, your behaviors are what make you a leader. And we, we talk about the, the acronyms like HM is a hospital manager. I, you know, the, the, root of the, the Latin root of the word to manage means to struggle. And I think that a lot of our hospital managers in this industry do exactly that. They struggle. And perhaps some of the reason that they may struggle, not is it not, it's not only because of all of the weight and responsibilities we have with, with hospital leadership, but it's, it's perhaps they haven't had as much exposure or learning opportunities to increase their leadership skills and abilities. Therefore, HM may be more appropriate as a hospital motivator as opposed to a hospital manager. You know, the Latin root of the word to motivate means to move and to inspire. Now we're talking about leadership behaviors, right? How am I a hospital manager who leads? Well, it's because I'm a hospital motivator. I understand how to learn about my team. I take a, an, a very intentional um, uh, liking to learning more about what makes the individuals tick and, and knowing how to leverage that to uh, progress the environment that I wanna see, the culture that I wanna see with my hospital, which in most cases, is very much um, what you would expect, right? I want people to be happy and collaborative and efficient and productive. And well, just it requires some, some baseline work. And, and that means removing the, the struggling of the management piece and adding more of those motivating and inspiring leadership behaviors to the, to the equation. Mm -hmm. And from a coaching perspective, what are some of the most common mistakes leaders make or or 
we can even talk about managers. I'm curious. You know, coaching is very particular, right? There's, there's, there's difficult conversations. Um, there's mentoring, there's coaching, and all these are very particular. So when it comes to, to coaching, coaching is something that should be ongoing. And that means you establish some normalcy from the beginning. Let's say you have a new employee and the new employee is, is onboarded. Once they're onboarded, actually part of the onboarding is, is a transparent disclosure that we, we coach in our hospital, which means whether it's every week, every month, every quarter, we'll have conversations that, that talk about your progression with your skill sets and we'll continue to help coach you on the growth of your, of your uh, abilities and your skill sets. This creates a situation where even for the difficult conversations, they become far less difficult because now they're more expected. The next step is, well, what's the environment in which I'm having these coaching conversations, right? Am I having them one-on-one behind closed doors? Okay, well, what are the mistakes I might make with this one-on-one conversation? Is this somebody who's going to be more intimidated by my presence? Therefore, should I have a less intimidating person with me that they feel more comfortable with? Um, A simple basic one, if if this is a closed-door coaching conversation, well, as the leader, Number one, I need to grab a chair so I can sit and minimize my profile. Number two, I need to make sure I'm not sitting anywhere in line of the front door. Because as the person comes in, if I'm blocking their space between them and the door, I am now an obstacle and they can feel trapped. Um, So I want to minimize my profile. I want to give them a, a perceived opportunity to escape. And I want to be mindful of basic behaviors that can help them feel a little more comfortable. My tone of voice, my volume, my shoulders, my head, my eye contact. So when you do have a titled leadership position, your your behaviors are far more polarized. And these little details have tremendous influence over the people that you're communicating with. So especially in a one-on-one coaching conversation, making sure that you are mindful of when appropriate, mirroring their behaviors, right? If they're, if they're uh, looking as if they're sad and sulking and, and feeling intimidated, well, you want to acknowledge that, right? Give some empathy, use an empathy statement, um, literally uh, leverage the opportunity to label emotions as they might be felt in that moment. You know, I, I know this is an uncomfortable conversation. Um, you might feel frustrated that we're having this conversation. Um, I, I get the sense you might be upset coming into this conversation. Not acknowledging those emotions is one of the more consistent mistakes that are made. If you don't acknowledge the emotions, the emotions continue to grow and they overcome and overtake the behaviors that follow. Without these heightened moments of emotion, on average, 80% of the decisions we make in life are driven based on emotion. We use logic and rational thought to support the emotional decisions we make. We can reverse this project neurologically by simply labeling an emotion with an empathy statement. Even in heightened moments of, of, other, of other circumstances, you know, I, I, I understand this is a sad moment for you. The, the labeling of that alone sends signals direct into a little part of the brain called the amygdala that immediately desensitizes the amygdala, helps make you more cognitive, more logical, and more rational. Well, well as you're talking about these emotions, it seems like that's a an enormous component of being a, 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 an effective leader. So would you say that's the most effective way to improve as a leader? Like, like if you were 
if you were to kind of sum up like these big fundamental concepts, what would they be to improve as a leader? In summary, it would be emotional intelligence. So there's, there's five primary components to emotional intelligence. Each, if you do a deep dive in, has incredible opportunities for you to, to make personal improvements and in ways that can help you to improve your team based on the way you behave with them. And the first two I mentioned a little earlier, actually, the first is self-awareness. This is one of the easiest pieces of the puzzle when it comes to emotional intelligence. It can be very easy for people to become more self-aware. Even if they're not all that willing, they can still become a little more self-aware. The second component is often the most difficult to define, and that's the self-regulation. Now that I'm more aware of my behaviors, more aware of my presence, um, how do I regulate those behaviors? You, know, you, you mentioned um, earlier something that, that sparked a thought with regards to, to how behaviors can, can be driven. And emotions drive the majority of our behaviors, and we need to learn what some of our triggers are. So there's processes we can put in a place to learn triggers and have physical stop-gap moments to prevent the triggers from leading to behaviors that can be um, destructive to whatever it is the environment that I want for my practice. So emotional intelligence would be the summary with a primary focus on those two initial parts, self-awareness and self-regulation. And when you talk about the triggers, I'm curious if there's a connection to body language, because it would be great for you to share, you, you touched on it a little bit earlier about some of your knowledge on this. Like, like can there even be physical, uh, you know, things that you do with your body that would elicit either responses or a trigger for the person, you know, the leader itself? Of course. In fact, I'll give a little tip on, on both sides, you as the leader, and then what you can recognize in the other person's behavior as well. So for yourself, your triggers, one of the things you want to be most mindful of with your triggers is things that relate to your defensiveness, right? We're fear-based. Our natural reaction is defense. And what is it that follows my defensive behaviors? Now, there's, you, you can simply just do a Google search for defensive behaviors and you'll find these long lists. My suggestion would be find a long list of defensive behaviors and start marking the, the behaviors that you know, that you can be honest with yourself on, you know you're, you're commonly um, engaging. And then when you have a list, maybe narrow it down to your top three to five. Then think of the situations where those behaviors are most common for you and what the physical behaviors are that might follow. Do you, is one of your defensive behaviors, do you become more quiet? And as you become more quiet, do you start to fidget? Like there's a physical behavior that'll follow the defensive behavior. When you um, become defensive, perhaps you are someone that over-explains, right? I get defensive and I start, like, I want to be understood. So I start over-explaining. But when you over-explain, you also become over-animated, right? You can recognize that in yourself. And then you can now that you're more aware of that, you can create other physical triggers to combat that. If I know I'm beginning to recognize a trigger that's going to make me quiet instead of fidgeting, I'm going to put my hands together and make sure that this becomes my... If I know I talk a lot and I start, well, then I can use the same one again. I can put my hands together to make sure I don't become overanimated. Right? So that, that's for yourself as a leader, ways you can, you can recognize small things with yourself. A big one to recognize with other people 
when other people start feeling um, uncomfortable with your presence, one of the many things they may do physically that can tip you off is how they start to touch themselves. Now, again, family show, this is, <laughs> but think of it this way. It begins with the fidget. I'm a little uncomfortable and I start to fidget, right? My discomfort increases. The fidget turns to now I'm starting to maybe massage or touch my wrist or my forearm a little bit. The discomfort increases some more. The touch goes up to now I'm rubbing my own arm, my bicep, my shoulder. My discomfort is rising to a place where I just want out. I need to leave this space. That's when that touch goes all the way up to the neck. And there's a, a common term we've probably heard, which is, this is a pain in my neck. That term came from the science of body language. It, in most cases, not all, in most cases, this is one of the highest forms of discomfort that someone can naturally demonstrate. They won't even be aware of it. So the rule of thumb is the higher the touch, from here, 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 the higher the touch, the higher the level of discomfort. Pay attention to this little detail because if that touch is raising, their discomfort is raising and you need to adjust to help increase their emotional safety once again. I, I feel like we could do a six hour marathon episode. You have so much to share. And I was gonna ask, is there any other advice you'd pass on? But it's kind of like, I, I really just wanna, I want you to keep talking. Everything is so interesting, but we are, we do have to wrap up eventually. So, so finally, is, is there anything else that you feel would be important for our listeners to know? It, it's, it's hard to summarize that because of, of all of the varieties of, of situations and scenarios, right? And, and so how do you prepare someone with, with a single piece of advice? Well, I, I, I may have to go back to um, pairing two things together. One, please keep in mind that our emotions drive our behaviors and what's happening in our brain, literally the emotions flood our brain with these neurons that overtake the executive function, which is the prefrontal cortex. And there's very specific behaviors we can do that reverses that process and desensitizes the emotion. So where I pair that with is um, seek some education in emotional intelligence. You know, do, do a little bit more than watching a, a brief YouTube video or a single TED talk. Read a couple of books, um, engage some conversations with colleagues that have an interest in the same information and allow yourself to, to grow with the emotional intelligence and how that connects to what's operating in our brains. You'll find that your self-awareness increases and hopefully your self-regulation follows. Thank you so much. We do have to wrap up. But again, this was amazing. I really appreciate you dropping by. I feel like we learned a ton. We appreciate, obviously, your expertise and insight. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's, a, it's, it's an honor. It's a pleasure. Um, and and I, I can't tell you how much this has been fun and enjoyable. And uh, ask me back anytime. It's my pleasure. <laughs> Definitely. So in our next episode, we're going to talk about overcoming leadership challenges and get cutting edge advice from a veterinarian who spent many years in clinical practice before rocketing up the ranks as a leader at Soetis. Also, more quizzes, more stories. What more do you need, really, right? I'm Dr. Kim Farina, and this has been another episode of Pause and Reflect with Zoetis. Episode three is up next. <laughs>